Uh, if you're new here, my name is Colin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Nona, and I would love to be able to hear a bit more about your story. We've also got a gift for you as well. Uh, so as you leave today, make sure that you stop by. I'll be up front after service. We'd love to be able to hear a little bit more about who you are, or make sure you grab your gift on the way out. We really want to make sure that uh, you feel warmly welcomed here. It truly is our honor to have you uh, with us. Uh, if you are uh, new to the, the service and new to our church, we're in the middle of a series right now titled The Way We Change. Would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. The Way We Change. Uh, and this series is really anchored in asking this deep question, what does it look like for us to be people that see longevity in our life in the places that we hope would look different? Uh, it can be very easy in a moment to feel a desire to see something change, and then uh, the days go by, the weeks go by, the months go by, and, and we haven't made that shift yet. We're still unhealthy in our physical bodies. We're still struggling in our relational dynamics. We're still uh, not making ends meet with our finances because we've got some bad habits that we need to kick. And the reality is, is that culture gives us a vision of what it looks like to change, but Jesus has an altogether different idea of what it looks like for us to be transformed. Last week we talked about that. We kind of raised this question, how do we really change? And we learned this, that change isn't a me thing or a he thing, it's a we thing, right? That this isn't about me doing it on my own, it isn't about me punting my responsibility to God and not participating in my own growth and change, but it is recognizing that I get to collaborate with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit to see my life transformed. And the teaching for the next couple of weeks is anchored uh, in this uh, verse that has been so helpful for me in my own life. It's Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I'll read it to us again. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Look at verse 2. This is really what we're going to lean into again today. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Uh, the NIV puts it this way. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul gives us this great promise. He says, then, after you've done that in verse 2, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We lay this out. This is what Paul is saying. Here's why what Paul is saying is so true. It's because our thoughts lead to our actions. Our actions lead to our habits. Our habits lead to our lifestyles. And our, leaf, our lifestyles lead to our legacy. In other words, true lasting change is an inside job. And it all starts with our thoughts. And so last week we left off with this question. Well, if it all starts with our thoughts, how then do we change the way we think? And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do I get to the core issue? How do I actually change the way that I think? And to help us kind of understand what we're going to be talking about today, I want to ask you this question. And I want you to turn to your neighbor very quickly and give them your response. Okay, here's the question. What is, okay, think about this, you're on a long road trip and you got to stop and pull over to get some food, or perhaps, and, and it's not open on Sunday, you know, you, you got that going on, or, 
or, or you're in a situation where, like, you know, every now and then, you've got an emotional breakdown and you just need some soul food, soul care food, right? And by soul care food, I mean things that are really bad for your soul and probably bad for your heart. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? That kind of thing as well. Here's the question I want you to turn just very quickly, okay? What is your favorite fast food restaurant? Answer that question very quickly. What is your favorite fast food restaurant? All right, all right. Hopefully, hopefully it didn't take you too long to confess what it is. Um, we've got some great people on our staff, and I know that different people have different, uh, different ones that they enjoy. Like I know Jonathan, for example, uh, Jonathan who helps uh, with all of our people get connected here at Nona. Jonathan on staff, he loves Burger King, like that's his go-to spot. I know that. Um, Andrew, I've known Andrew for a long time. Uh, in moments of weakness, Andrew loves him some Mickey D's. Isn't that true? I know it's true. I know it's true. And would you pray for me? My wife, Stacy, I love her so much. People ask me all the time, man, your wife seems like she's perfect. And I'm like, she pretty much is. There's only one thing that I wish was different about her, and it's this. It's that she loves her some Arby's. Like, and I don't understand that at all. So just, just pray for me, all right? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Yeah. I want to be an equal opportunity offender today, and so you might have noticed that I've got a variety of different fast food restaurants up here. I got some Popeyes. I love some Popeyes right here. Look at this. I talked to you guys last week. I love a little three-piece right there. Look at that. Oh, does that look good? A little three-piece right there. Yeah, I got some Popeyes over here. Um, I've got a, a Wendy's hamburger, a Wendy's hamburger. Look at that right there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. No, I don't know how I feel about that one. Yeah. Um, Oh, gosh, come on now, right? We all need some good seafood in our life, right? A little filet of fish right there. Got a little filet of fish right there, okay? This is my college experience right here. It was, uh, it was Taco Bell. Y'all remember that Taco Bell? With that little Baja Blast, you know what I'm talking about? That's right, of course, of course. Um, of course, you've got, you know, you got the Mickey D's Happy Meal, right? This makes you feel not as bad if you get, like, a kid's meal, you know? Just be happy. This is my, this is what I do, right? Got Burger King right here. Need a nice, you know, a nice little drink. And some of you guys might be saying, Colin, you're missing a really important, a really important company up here, right? This is probably what you guys said. Many of you said was your favorite was, but um, this is the Lord's house, all right? And um, we will never, ever slander Chick-fil-A in this house, all right? So they don't make it, they don't make it on, on this, uh, on this table. Uh, in the early 2000s, uh, there was uh, a documentary uh, that was uh, done by a man by the name of Morgan Spurlock. Uh, he wanted to know what would happen uh, if I ate fast food, and he picked a particular restaurant, if I ate fast food every single day for 30 days. wasn't going to change anything else about uh, his lifestyle, was still going to walk like he usually walks, but what if for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he ate fast food, and if they asked him uh, if he would like to supersize it, he had to say yes. There were a couple of rules here. He had to eat it every day. He had to consume every item on uh, this menu. Uh, he had to only ingest uh, things that were from the menu, including like bottled water, uh, and he would attempt to live his life as a normal person. Here's what uh, the study found out when, when Spurlock did this. Over the course of a month, he gained 24 and a half pounds. By day 21, he went to a doctor, and the doctor said, you have heart palpitations. If you continue to do this, you may not make it till the end of the month. But because a documentary and some money was on the other side, he finished it, and he got it done. And here's what's crazy to me. It took him six months on a strict 
vegan only detox diet to lose the weight after he had done that particular process. I'm not sure what is worse, heart palpitations or having to be a vegan. Like, I don't know (laughs) which one is. Now, Now, I laid this out before us because if what we consume in our bodies has a direct impact to our physical health, how much more true could that be about our spiritual lives? I want to submit to you that if we were to take a moment to take an inventory of the types of things that we're allowing our soul to ingest, if we were to take an inventory to, to, to look at what our soul is consuming, perhaps that might be instructive when we think about what it looks like to be people that change the way that we think. Because our thoughts lead to our actions. Our actions lead to our habits. Our habits lead to our lifestyle, and our lifestyle leads to our legacy. I mean, just last week, there's a reason why marketers and advertisers are willing to spend $7 million for a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl. Uh, just, Just talk about our money for a moment. Did you know that as a nation, when it comes to marketing and different companies, we spend $17 billion a year, that's $54 a person, on financial marketing. So credit card companies are spending $17 billion a year to get you to purchase their products and services. Yet on the same side, we only spend $670 million a year, which is $2 a person, on financial literacy and education. Think about the difference there. $54 a person on consuming things that lead you to be in debt, and only $2 a year per person on helping you understand how to manage your money. That's why I think the total personal debt in the U.S. is at an all-time high with $16.5 trillion of debt floating around our nation and our homes and our families. It's true about the content we consume when it comes to relationships. Did you know that in divorce proceedings, over one-third in the last decade have mentioned Facebook as a reason? And it's often because people are fanning an old flame when things aren't right in their own home. And then we just think about entertainment. If you're a parent, I think you should especially pay attention to this. Some research was just conducted. And did you know for every hour or so of Christian content that perhaps your child or your teenager might consume, I'm talking about going to church on Sunday or maybe being in small group, that we consume 63 hours of entertainment for every one hour? So 63 hours of input that is not aligned with the best values and the heart of the Lord for every one hour of Christian teaching that we get in our lives. I might submit to you that the music that we listen to, the things we watch, the books we read, and the content we, here's the word that we're going to use a lot today, the content we consume all shape our thoughts. And our thoughts lead to our actions, and our actions lead to our habits. Our habits lead to our lifestyle, and our lifestyle leads to our legacy. Uh, my grandmother uh, used to quote the, the King James Version Bible to me. Anybody got a grandmother like that? I'd rather it when she quoted it instead of threw it at me. I always liked it when it was quoted and said. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, here's a caveat as I teach today. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to necessarily burn the CDs or get rid of that, you know, one, you know, TV show that everybody thinks is, you know, evil or whatever, or crawl into a hole. I'm not against art. I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing that we all become incredibly prudish in our behavior. I'm not arguing that you should only listen to worship music or listen to 
um, Christian podcasts or watch Christian TV. It's like the only thing you can watch is the chosen. Like, I'm not saying that today. And I don't land there because the Bible doesn't land there. In Jeremiah, God tells the people to pray for and work for the welfare of Babylon. That means engage in the culture. In Acts chapter 17, Paul quotes the, the poets of the day to people in the Areopagus, trying to explain to them who God is. He's quoting modern day rappers, if you will, to people that understand that. How does Paul know that unless he's listened or read or knows about those poets? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew, a tax collector's house, and sinners come to eat with him and his disciples. The Old Testament tells the truth in detail about the language about our brokenness. Song of Solomon is an open book about human sexuality. So the error of the last few decades of church, and maybe we bring some of our baggage even as you're beginning to hear me talk today, in the West is kind of that we land in one of two polarities. The first one is isolationism, to retreat and wage war against the culture. So we've got to have a Christian version of everything, and it's usually worse. Can I get a good amen, right? But the opposite of that polarity is syncretism, which is to try to look so hard like the culture that we become like the culture. And it's very hard to even notice a difference between the way that a follower of Jesus lives their life and a person who doesn't. Instead, the consistent through line of scripture is to engage and invest in the culture in a way that has completely different sets of values. So we forgive when people wrong us. We serve instead of demand when we're placed in positions of power. And we give instead of keep because we belong to a God who is generous and kind. So don't hear what I'm not saying today. Let me be very plain about what I am saying. That the culture will conform us to its way of thinking unless we are actively working against the natural tide of our environment. Transformation will not happen by accident. It is by intention. Which is what Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. C conformity is this reality when Paul says, Do not be conformed, that there's a fight we're going to have to fight. That there's a tide that we're swimming in. That there's an ocean that we're a part of. There's the air that we breathe that is going to try to conform us into a way of living that is not aligned with, the cult with, with God's best. And that's going to affect our thinking. And the way we see the world may be misaligned with God's heart. So there's a fight that we have to fight. Do not be conformed. But then there's also a process we need to be participating in, which is allow yourself to be transformed. So today what I want to talk about is how do I change the way that I think? Because if I can change my thoughts, that will lead to different actions. And those actions will lead to different habits. And those habits will lead to a different lifestyle. And that lifestyle will look like a way better legacy than if I don't. And I think the answer is really found around these two words. The word removal and replacement. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Changing our mind begins with removal and replacement. Sometimes we need to remove things from our diet so that our body can detox from them. Or to know what our body is rejecting or responding to because we've removed it from our diet. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. This is the advice that Paul actually gives his son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, has two letters that are written to him uh, that we have documented in the New Testament. First and second Timothy. 
And unlike a lot of Paul's writings, what I love about this letter is that Paul is writing to a particular person in a particular time and place that he has a personal relationship with. It's like we get to hack into Paul's personal email account and look at some of his personal correspondence that he has. We get to get access to his text message thread as he's communicating with Timothy, a man that he loves, that he's mentored, and that he's placed in a position of leadership and responsibility over the church of Ephesus. And Timothy is living in a world much like ours, where Roman culture has a vision of flourishing that is different than the heart of God. Where Roman culture is pressing in on Timothy, uh, encouraging Timothy to see the world a certain way, to think a certain way, and, and as a result, act a certain way. And Paul wants to talk to Timothy about what it looks like to transform. And Paul's going to lay out for him as he writes these letters, which we'll explore over the course of today, some practices that we need to take on if we're going to change our thinking. So I want to talk to you about two things that we need to remove or at the very least restrict. You can write this down in your notes. Number one, check your circle. Check your circle. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 5 it says, but this, but mark this, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now just mental note here, uh, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago and he called that the last days. So don't ever come up to me asking me for a prediction on when like the Lord's going to return. I don't have the answer to that, all right? If I had the answer to that, I would have, you know, know who was going to win the Super Bowl, all right? I got that prediction wrong, all right? So like let's not Let's not, let's not talk about that. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's talking about until Christ returns. This is what's going to be true about humanity. People will be lovers of themselves. Anybody say, check, we got that going on in our culture? Lovers of money. Yeah? Boastful. Look at me on Instagram. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. I know we're in the last days. Ungrateful. <laughs> Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at this, this is important, because Paul's not just talking about people out there, he's actually talking about those that are in the church at Ephesus. And you see this because of this next line. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, there's going to be a lot of cultural people that say that they're Christian, but their lives are not going to look any different because although they name Jesus as Savior, they're still conformed and look like the culture. But instead, Paul says this, when you see people like that, look what he says, have nothing to do with such people. Hey, I, I need to say something. This is for somebody in the room today. Because you've missed this point. The greatest danger to your faith isn't a not yet Christian. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's a half-hearted one. If you spend your time with people that are lukewarm about their walk with the Lord, conform to the culture but claim Christ, that is the most dangerous person to have around you in your circle when it comes to following Because the voices you have in your life will have a profound impact on your thought life. Jim Rohn has this great quote. He says, you are the average of your five closest friends, and it is true. Study after study after study shows the people that are in your circle have a profound impact on your direction. Why? Because those are the voices that get into your mind. Those are the voices that shape your thoughts. And thoughts shape actions, and actions lead to habits, and habits lead to lifestyles, and lifestyles lead to legacies. I might just submit to you this today. There are some people you need to remove from your circle because these people have been living rent-free in your mind. For some of you, it's the wounding words of a father figure. 
For others, it's the insecurity of a passive-aggressive colleague that you just allow to have in your life. It's the bad advice of a backwards-thinking friend. It's the cynicism of someone else that you still have in your circle that makes your own pursuit of the Lord feel like it's silly or foolish. Like, you know that there are people around you that will help fan the flame of your desire to know God. And then there are people, be people that try to snuff it out, right? And it tends to be that those that snuff it out tend to be pretty cynical because of their own experience. And they love bringing that to you because misery loves company. See, the most dangerous person in your life is not the person who doesn't know Jesus. It's the person who claims to know Jesus but is conformed by the culture. But Colin, that seems so mean. Like Jesus, he, he was around everyone. I agree. And yet even Jesus had this thing called boundaries that he withdrew by himself. Even if you look at the framework of Jesus' friends, Jesus had hundreds of followers, thousands of followers, 72 people that were called disciples, 12 that were named. But Peter, James, and John were the three that had the most access to his life. Jesus knew of the value of boundaries. If you struggle with this part of your life where you're like, I know I need some people to, I need to change my circle a little bit, and you struggle with that, let me recommend a book to you. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, a book called Boundaries. And here's what uh, Dr. Cloud and Townsend say about boundaries. They say this, boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. Boundaries help us, look at this, keep the good in and the bad out. The good in my mind and the bad out of my mind. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for your choices because you are the one who makes them. And you are the one who may be keeping yourself from making the choices. Our thoughts lead to our what? To our actions. You could be happy with. I love this last line. We must own our own thoughts and clarify distorted thinking. So here's just a question as we think about how do I change the way that I think? What people do I need to remove or restrict from my circle? Because their voice is intruding my thoughts, and my thoughts lead to my actions. Here's the second one. Not only should we check our circle, but we need to check our source. Uh, one of the great gifts of being a dad of a preteen uh, is that um, I get to hear some crazy stories all the time. And uh, what I love is like, you know, my oldest will come home and she'll be like, Dad, you'll never know what happened today. And she'll kind of tell this story, and, and I already know what's happened. Like, I've already gotten the email. I'm already aware of what happened at school. But then there's the version that her middle school friends have told her has happened that she's convinced is true. And, like, one is, like, not a big deal at all, but theirs is, like, the school was going to get teleported. Like, it's, like, this interesting dynamic, right? Like, crazy ideas, right? But I actually know what's happened. I ask her this question often. I'd be like, huh, that's really interesting, as I laugh to myself. And then I ask her this question, hey, who told you that? And usually the answer is another middle school friend. I find it interesting, that phrase, who told you? Because it's the exact phrase that God uses in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. After Adam and Eve have sinned, they hide in uh, the garden. They cover themselves up out of uh, shame. And as they begin to give their excuse for why they rebelled against God, the first thing out of God's mouth to Adam and Eve is, who told you? See, I think we live in a culture where we don't stop to ask the question, who told me that? Who told me that success is marked by the letters at the end of my name? Who told me that 
that flourishing looks like making sure that I'm married and that I have kids? Who told me that, that I've got to live in this zip code or make this amount of money or look this way? Or, or who told me that, that I have to be 55 years old but look like I'm 24 years old in order to feel relevant and beautiful? Who told you that? Paul says this to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, 4, 3, 4. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What is a myth? A myth is a widely held false belief or idea that culture has created as core to its identity. It is not true, but it makes us feel better, so we just believe that it is. Or we don't understand what's going on, so we find an explanation and apply it. And as I sit back and look, I I am convinced that the church in America has fallen in love with teachers, podcasts, blogs, influencers, and personalities more than they have the Word of God. And if you're hearing something that is radical or new or revolutionary about our faith, you should probably test it. If something that used to be called sin is no longer called sin, you should probably test it. If there's a way of following Jesus that costs you little or calls you too less, you should probably test it. Because if it isn't in alignment with 2,000 years of church history and orthodoxy and the word of God, it might just fall into the category of myth. And look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7. He says, have nothing to do. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. In other words, if it's true that we're consuming 63 hours of entertainment media for every one hour that we're in our Bible or hearing a teaching or listening to the scriptures, maybe the question we should be all asking ourselves is, who told you that? Who told you that that's the way that the world works? Who told you that that's actually good for your life and your heart? Who told you that? Because if we're not careful, if we don't check our circle, and if we don't check our source, we might live into a pattern of thoughts in our lives that affect our actions, that lead to our lifestyle, that lead to a legacy that is so far off of what God desired for us. And I'm seeing it everywhere in our culture. People claiming Jesus, but conformed, not by the word of God, but to the last commercial that they watched, social media binge that they went on, and Netflix show that they just can't get enough of. And we wonder why our marriages are jacked up. And we wonder why we can't raise our kids and connect with them. And we wonder why we feel this pressure to continue to do more and consume more and get more and be more. And we wonder why we can't get off the crazy train. It's because we consume this instead of the word of God. We consume this instead of the presence of the spirit that wants to be in us. So I want to give us two things that we need to check. We need to check our circle and we need to check our source. But here's what's interesting. It's not just enough to remove some things. And I might ask you this question, what do you need to remove? What is not helping your thinking because it is conforming yourself to the culture more than the pattern of Jesus? Remove what needs to be removed. But hear me. What is removed must also be replaced. There's this interesting story in uh, Matthew chapter 12 where um, Jesus uh, does a crazy thing where he casts out a demon and then does a bunch of teaching and the disciples kind of gather with him afterward. They're like, Jesus, what just happened? I mean, it's, it's just kind of a crazy thing. And Jesus lays out what just occurred, and he gives an explanation for it. And there's a principle here of replacement that I think we need to see. 
Jesus says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live here. They're like, party! And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. In other words, although the bad thing was removed, if you don't replace it with that which is good, the bad thing comes back with a lot more vengeance. And many of us have been in the practice of removing, but we have not been in the process of replacing. And that's why we start and we stop. That's why we begin and we can't finish. That's why it seems like there's some progress and then we fall off the tracks again. It's not just about removing, it's also about replacing. So I'll give you two things to quickly look at. How do we replace? We remove, we check our circle, we check our source, and here's what we replace. For some of us, I'll be real with you, you need to replace your old circle with a new one. You need to replace your old circle with a new one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. You know those from whom you've learned it. Paul's point of the fact that Timothy has people in his life that have helped him in his walk. You need to be around people who love Jesus if you're going to love Jesus. You need to be around great marriages if you want a great one. You need to be around people that read the word if you want to read it. You know, one of the things that we're passionate about here at Nona is making sure that this bigger church feels like your church. By creating circles and environments where people can connect. And what I love is that we are surrounded by people that want to help one another grow. Uh, Just a couple of stories. Um, Perhaps you're identifying and wondering, where do I need to find community. How do I do that? Well, you picked a great day. On your uh, seat right now uh, is a list of all of our communities. All you have to do today is take a photo of that QR code. It takes you directly to a link and a website where you can get all of the information you need for all of our front porch ministries, known to men, known to women, known to Latino, known to moms, known to young adults, known to students, or if you want to find a community group. But these things actually change people's lives. Here are a couple of true stories from people in our community. Uh, this is from a couple who started, came in the new season, just retired. My husband and I have recently retired in Orlando. Any of my retired folk in the room? Anybody retired in the room today? Yeah? Yeah? What is it like? What is it like? <laughs> my husband and I have recently retired in Orlando. Having lived all over the United States for our careers, it was our desire to finally have roots somewhere. Those roots would include having a church home, good Christian friends, people to get together with and have dinner and play golf. Amen. Having people actually know who we are and not just as an acquaintance was paramount. And the 55-plus group, our community group, and known to men, has given us wonderful outlets to really establish connections with people and form friendships that are genuine. Is this transformative, they write? After reflecting on this, indeed it is. And we look forward to more transformation as time goes on. Career relocation. Anybody not from Orlando? Yeah, all of us. Right? I decided to take a chance and find community. Since then, I've participated in two Nona Women Book Clubs, the Friendsgiving Celebration, and most recently, the Women's Retreat. When I started coming to Nona, I knew it was different, but what I didn't expect to find was something so much more special. I found a sisterhood of women of all ages that have been there to pray with me, for me, and for each other. Women that are willing to have you over for dinner after a rough week at work. Women that are not afraid to share their faith with their families and their community. I am forever thankful for a small invite to a book club that turned into finding my community and so much more. You find yourself feeling alone from a young adult in our church. I used to struggle with a lot of serious doubts about my faith during COVID in particular. Watching church online and not being plugged into a community left me feeling isolated. 
like I was the only one trying to follow God outside of church and not seeing what difference just my prayers alone can make. It wasn't until I got plugged into a community group at Nona that those thoughts of isolation finally started dissipating. Getting to pray in a group setting, hearing other people's prayer requests and answers, and having a place to discuss hard spiritual questions turned keeping my relationship with God back into something joyful and full of expectation rather than a constant struggle. If you are thankful for the communities that God has given us in our church, would you just put your hands together and thank God for the ways in which we can get connected. For some of us, we need to check our circle and then change it. And for others, we need to check our source and listen to this. We need to remove some sources in our life. And here's my last point. We need to remove their voice with his. Remove their voice with his. Because the culture wants your pocket. Your boss wants control. But God wants your heart. And that same scripture, when Paul is looking at Timothy saying, don't be conformed to the culture, he ends by saying this in verse 15, and how from infancy, Thomas, or how from infancy, Timothy, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So two PhDs did a study asking the question, how does the Bible actually transform us? And what they found is if you read the Bible one day, it doesn't do much. Read the Bible two days, doesn't do much. Read the Bible three days, doesn't do much. But when you get to that inflection point of allowing the scriptures to be read and held in your heart four times a week, this is what they found. This is a PhD study just confirming what we already know Paul would say is true in the scriptures. He said, for those that engage the scriptures four times a week, listen to this. You have an anger issue that you want to change. Those with anger issues saw their blow-ups and explosions drop by 32%. You struggle with bitterness, reading the word four times a week. That bitterness, as they measured it, dropped by 40%. Find yourself too dependent on alcohol, read the scriptures four times a week, dropped 57%. Struggle with inappropriate online activity, clicking on things you shouldn't be watching, viewing things that you know you shouldn't view, betraying your closest relationships. Those that read the Bible four times a week, they saw that number drop by 61%. Cheating affairs, sleeping around, dropped 68%. You feel disconnected from God. You read the Bible four times a week, that dropped 60%. You scared to share your faith. You know that you should share this faith, but it is so hard to step over the ledge and, and be able to be open about your walk with the Lord. You read the Bible four times a week, and those that did, their evangelism jumped 200%. You struggle figuring out how to be engaged with your kids' faith. How do I talk to them about Jesus? How do I talk to them about the crazies of this world? How do I get the wisdom that I need, the, the information downloaded that I need to be able to engage my kid in their highest points of need? You want to be more engaged with your kids' faith? faith? Discipleship jumped 230%. Listen to me. Yeah, we can, we can celebrate that. That's God's word in action. Listen to me. You might say to yourself, I don't have enough time to engage the scripture. Hear me. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Listen, I'm a huge proponent of counseling. You know that. Huge proponent.
component for medication, for brain chemistry, for healthy outlets for us to grow and get healthy. But all of that is for naught if the voice of God is not the loudest voice that we hear, if the voice of God is not the clearest voice that we hear. You see, you see, a lot of us are consuming a lot of this content. A lot of this is the trash that we're putting in our bodies. When God's invitation is to pick up your Bible and to engage in this, this is not cute. It's not a fun little tool we decided to come up with because we thought it was a good idea. The Formation Journal is a gift we give you to be able to engage in God's Word at least four, if not five extra times a week because this message is not enough. God's Word is. And God's Word will transform your life. So with that in mind, would you stand with us today? As you do, would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I want to invite you into taking a next step today. This moment is for you, a moment to respond to what you've heard from God's word. But for some of us, the call, the call is to remove some things. As you've been listening to me teach today, under the sound of my voice, you know the Lord is saying, hey, you need to remove some voices. You need to reconsider some people. You're going to need to set a boundary. You need to reconsider how much time you're spending with half-hearted Christians. And if you sense the Lord saying, yeah, it's, it's time for me to remove some things, would you just open your hand and say, yeah, God, I see you saying I, that I might need to remove some people. Remove some people from my circle. Set some boundaries. For others, it's not so much about people. It's about our source. We need to remove some sources. Lord, I've been checking Zillow too much. Let me be honest. <laughs> Finding myself discontent listening to talk radio too much, finding myself getting angered, been escaping to entertainment too much, trying to find myself getting distracted. And if you hear the Lord saying, hey, it's time to remove some things, because you're consuming a little bit too much of a fast food version of entertainment, it's going to leave your soul empty. God would invite you to open your hands now. This is for you and the Lord to say, yeah, God, I know. Remember, it's not enough to remove, but we want to be people who replace. For some of us, the invitation today is, Lord, I need to take community seriously. It's time to stop just going to church on Sunday, but I need to find my people. If you sense the Lord say, hey, it's time to re-engage in community or jump into community for the first time, perhaps you could open your hand as well. For others of us, it's about taking his word seriously. Saying, God, I need to re-engage in your word. I need to hear your voice. I need to replace their voice with your voice. Their voice with your voice. If that's you today, would you open your hands? Father, let me pray. Father, I, I pray that we would recognize that our thoughts lead to our actions. Our actions lead to our habits. Our habits lead to our lifestyles, and our lifestyle leads to our legacies. And it's not as hard as we think to change the way we think. accepting your invitation to remove some things and replace them get a community and your word Lord would you give us what we need allow us to take a next step today 
and to trust in the good news that you teach us these things because you love us. These are the things we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody in this room said, amen.